Hi, Zena, Megan, and John. This is Coffee Doug calling from the St. Louis area. My last name is actually Jones, so every time you guys talk about the actor Doug Jones, it makes me smile a little bit. I've been listening to the podcast since day one. I got to say, all three of you are amazing. Your chemistry just keeps getting better and better, and I look forward to the episodes each week, so thank you. My question is this. It's award season right now, like Golden Globes, Oscars, and such. And notoriously, the Oscars are known for leaving out genres such as horror, action, pretty much anything fun, it seems like. So I wanted to know in uh, the opinions of all three of you, what horror movies should be nominated for Oscars? It could be current, it could be older films, and uh, it could be some of your favorites or just what you think in general is definitely worthy of an Oscar nomination. For example, I would pick It Follows and Us. I think those two films for sure should have been nominated for Oscars. Uh, anyway, thanks so much. Oh, and Zena, I've been turning on the Bloody Disgusting channel on Roku pretty much every day, and it's got some amazing content. So thank you so much for recommending that, and thank all three of you for putting this podcast together. Have a good day. Thanks, Doug, for that insanely complimentary voicemail. And to prove Zena's point that being, you know, constantly telling people to listen to Bloody Disgusting Television does work. Yeah. <laughs> and for the best. So, Zena, you keep doing that. Will do. I'm going to go ahead and hand off the question to Zena, because why not? Okay. Uh, what do you think? What What are some uh, Oscar snubs that you think they messed up on? Which I know we're all going to agree on with Hereditary, Tony Collette. They, yeah. like, oh, really sure. dropped the ball on that one. Uh, but I even want to kind of take it back to the 70s and talk about uh, Sissy Spacek and Carrie. Oh, Dang. Like, yeah. Yeah. Wait a second. She was never nominated? She was nominated for, I think, an Academy Award, but she I don't think that she won at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought she won. Oh, my God. Imagine I'm wrong. Okay. But then, anyway. Uh, let's <laughs> I don't pretend- think you are <laughs> That wrong. didn't happen. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. Uh, but moving on, also, uh, the movie Dead Ringers with Jeremy Irons. Uh, he could be another awesome Oh, that's a good pick. He's just phenomenal. I love him so much. And then moving on, because I try to do, like, different categories. So for Best Director, just because I'm obsessed with this movie, Starry Eyes, because it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Best Screenplay, The Others from 2001. And Best Soundtrack from the 70s as well, Tourist Trap. Oh, nice. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. How about you, Megan? Well, shoot. I mean, if we're going down uh, soundtrack or score, <laughs> then, hey, Troll. Troll yes! definitely needed some uh, love. <laughs> I See, this one's hard for me because obviously we're, you know, horrors close to our hearts. So I'm mm-hmm. like, all of them, all of them are winners in my book. <laughs> um, so I really didn't go that deep here. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Nyong'o, yes. she should have, mm. she should have at least been nominated for us. Oh, I mean, she was Very pulling. Cool. I can't believe duty. she wasn't. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, that one for sure, and uh, Relic because yes. Relic seemed mm. like the type of horror movie that would have been mm-hmm. uh, something that the Oscar voters would have gone for. So, so yeah, weird. Yeah, I, That's I feel weird like that they didn't. Yeah, I kind of. Kept it simple and, and short and just went with a couple of nominees that, that really should have been nominees. And I don't know why they slipped by, but yeah. Oh, yeah cool the stuff. one I was thinking of was Steven Spielberg for Jaws for mm-hmm. Best Director. Mm-hmm. Like how yeah. he didn't get nominated. Like I know that he thought that they were going to sweep in the first place and they just they did not. But the fact that he wasn't even nominated for Best Director, especially considering is everything we know about the behind the scenes chaos that the movie even got made yeah. is unbelievable uh and then the other one more a little bit more of a dark horse pick i went with uh best screenplay scream yeah. scream should have gotten nice, the best screenplay true. no nothing had ever shown up like that before in the past and sometimes i look at best screenplay category and i'm like i don't get you mm. <laughs> like there's amazing scripts out there that it's like what what's the What's the qualifier for this one? It's madness. That's yeah. what it's madness. Or it's because the Writers Guild is getting snobby about horror screenplays. Probably. But, you know, Oscar winners don't have any bearing on a film's longevity. So it's mm. okay in the end. We'll celebrate these Absolutely. films. Absolutely. 
Now to an email, because as I said, we do pay attention to our email box at bedisgustingpodcast at gmail.com. And this one's from Lalo, writing all the way from Mexico. Woo. Uh, first of all, I want to say I love the podcast, and it's a highlight of my Wednesday since I discovered it. Oh, thanks, Lalo. Uh, now the question I've been dying to ask you three is this one. What is the movie you didn't like when you first saw, but started to like it after a second or third watch? For me, it would be The Black Coat's Daughter. Didn't quite, didn't like it quite much when I first watched it, but I grew fond of it after a second watching. Uh, I've already discussed a couple of my obvious ones, even recently, with um, Drag Me to Hell, Mm -hmm. that I didn't particularly like the first time I watched it, and Blair Witch. And I'll I'll throw in another quick one, Army of Darkness. Did not like (gasps) it the first time I watched it. Interesting. Well, because I had gone Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and then I watched Army of Darkness, and I'm like, Mm. I don't. I don't get this. The skeletons, because it was so campy over the top. I was just like, I don't understand where the horror is in this. Oh. But it but now I appreciate it for being what it is. Because I just I had expectations going into it. And in my old age, I've learned to stop having expectations for horror movies and just watch and enjoy. How about you, Megan? Uh first I want to say I love this question because how we view things and interpret them or just even how it affects us has a lot to do with so many different factors. So I am a huge fan of rewatching things, even if you didn't like it at first, because who mm-hmm. knows? Um, so mm-hmm. that being said, I think that for me, I had a hard time for a while. And I, I'm pretty sure I've said this before with it- Italian horror. So I always was the child who grew up obsessed with monsters, and I think the there was very few Italian horror movies that really gave me that. Like, I always loved Demons and Demons 2 and Dario Argenta's Phenomena to, to a lesser mm-hmm. extent, um, but a lot of the other ones I couldn't get into because they were, there was Giallo mostly, and they were a little bit kind of sleazy, sexual based. Uh, So those were never for me. And then I remember having a friend early during high school introduced uh, Suspiria and I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have no idea what this incoherent plot is. Um, I don't know why this is the most anticlimactic takedown of the witch ever. Um, (laughs) But now I love it. I love it in Inferno a lot. So I think that, uh, you know, I obviously got older and could appreciate movies that favor mood and style over a a narrative, um, something that I definitely couldn't do when I was younger. So, yeah, I think Suspiria was the biggest turnaround for me. Awesome. Okay. Zena. Zena. Uh, for me, there's, there's a couple and I think they, they kind of all take place around the same years, two, three years or so. So I think I was going through something around that time. I don't know what, uh, but trick or treat from 2007. I wasn't a fan. Yeah. What what, what was it about it then? I I had no idea. I remember it was made in 2007, but I, it was, had a very late release, like two years or so. So it was like, yeah, it sat on the shelf for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just like, I was so excited to, to watch it because, you know, Halloween's life and I really love like anthologies and stuff like that. So, um, but I don't know, it just didn't do it for me. And then I remember I rewatched it. It was in 2012, um, during my honeymoon, you know, it was my choice of the movie. So, um, I love it. I love it. And yeah. And I, I really loved it. I, I had no idea what I was thinking. It was a lot of fun, the stories, the characters, you know, seeing Sam and stuff. I just, even with that, like, I always thought Sam was cute, but it was just kind of like, what's the point of him, you know? <laughs> and then um, just two more, again, Sorority Row. It was also released in 2009. So, and then uh, the last one, My Soul to Take, that one was released in 2010, and I didn't care for it. It's just like, yeah. and I think I went to the theaters to see it, I think, but yeah, I wasn't a fan, but then went back to go see it. It's like, whoa. <laughs> Yay. I love those types of rediscoveries. The best kind. Well, Zena, your uh, your choice of honeymoon movie watching was better than mine. The one I remember watching on my honeymoon was a Dane Cook stand-up special. And I don't want to go into that anymore. I'm mad that I remember it right now. 
So, welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, everyone. The podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to discuss the disgusting, you know her as the lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting, horror movie fanatic and journalist Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan. Hi. And you know her from her YouTube channel and website, Real Queen of Horror, and her infinite love for the genre, Zena Dixon. Hey, Zena. Hello. And I'm John. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode usually drops, we hope that your week has been filled with all the best kinds of horror. And if not, we're going to do a quick round the table for the movies, books, games, anything else in the horror that are making the three of us smile right now. Maybe there'll be things that'll make you smile too. So, Zena, what's been filling your heart this week? Well, I checked out Soul Station from 2016 on Shudder, and this is thanks to Girl That Scary Podcast. They recommended it. I was also a guest on their show. Really awesome ladies. They sung, like, they actually sung me a song. I loved it so much. So, <laughs> I just, I love it when people <laughs> sing to me. It makes me feel special. But this movie, it is the prequel to uh, Train to Busan. So, this one is about a man who desperately searches for his runaway daughter as the government struggles to shut down the area around a zombie outbreak. Um, I love the fact that this one has such a gritty feel to it. And there are some stuff that we've seen before in, you know, zombie movies, but it still feels fresh. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Was this anime? It, yes, yes, it is animated. animated. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like there's just nothing but pure mayhem in this one. And there's so much drama. Like, you don't even need to watch VH1 reality TV. <laughs> just watch this. <laughs> it has all the drama. And, you know, it I'm does. someone who really loves, like, um, zombie movies. And even though there, again, there were some like familiar things to it, but it feels fresh. It's not stale or anything like that. And there's like a cool little twist to it. So if you guys haven't checked it out, or say if you want to do kind of like a double feature, you could check it out with uh, Train to Busan. And I kind of feel like, you know, because Train to Busan, people are considering it like a classic zombie movie, which I agree. But I feel like this one, it's still it's still really awesome, too. Like, I think you can, like, check it out and, like, really enjoy it. They really know how to, like, play with your heart and your mind and your life. And your life. <laughs> In your life. Uh, then the next one, because I needed a comfort watch, I rewatched The Stepfather from 2009 on Netflix. Uh, so Michael Harding returns from military school to find his mother, Susan, happily in love with her living new boyfriend, David. As the two men get to know each other, he becomes more and more suspicious of the man who is always there with a helpful hand. So I really love The Stepfather series. Um, I mean, part two is kind of like silly and part three is outrageous. But overall, I really love it. And I remember when I first watched this movie back in 2009, or even before I watched it, I was a little bit nervous about it because I didn't know if the character, um, Dylan, well, not the character, the actor, Dylan Walsh, who plays uh, the new David, and, um, sorry, yeah, who plays the new David in uh, The Stepfall, that he would be able to live up to Terry Quinn, Terry O'Quinn's character. So, but he did, because I felt like he was very, um, there was something chilling about him, but he was still, like, charming. Like, it was unbelievable to me, the fact that the mom, she, like, after six months, you just let this man move in with your family. No questions asked, you know, and that's kind of weird. But, no, I mean, I still feel like it, it makes sense because he was that charming, and you can tell that he probably found a way to, like, do that. There were a couple of changes, like uh, with Jill Sholin's character, obviously, uh, Stephanie, um, instead of it being like a female, like with a daughter, it's a son, and it's Dan from Gossip Girl. So I just really love that show, Gossip Girl. Does it change? First season. <laughs> did you watch You at all on Netflix? I did. I, I was it, so obsessed with it. <laughs> did it change, kind of... like, how you look at him now? No, honestly, no? he was kind of the same way in Gossip Girl, except he didn't kill people. So he didn't kill I, people. <laughs> I'm just saying he was—he's kind of the same. Like seriously, he was. There was something he's... so mysterious about, you know, Dan and Gossip Girl, and then we found out at the end, like, spoiler, he, maybe he was a killer. You don't know. He was Gossip Girl, so <laughs> <laughs> he was living a lie. Uh, but no, uh, I was saving that. Ah, <laughs> uh, darn it! You ruined Gossip Girl. No. Stop it, John. You can still watch. Just watch the first season. But anyway. Um... See, now you guys are going to tell me to watch Gossip Girl for next week. <laughs> yeah, you got to do it all in a week now, too. All good. Oh, crap. But no, um, 
sorry for, for getting a little bit frazzled when I was explaining it. But I mean, I guess it's just because, again, like I really love like the original series. I think that it's a lot of fun. It's a fun suspense thriller movie. And as someone, like I said, when they first announced it, I was like, this is going to be a terrible movie. I'm not going to like it. But I really loved it a lot. And it was it felt very much like believable. You can feel like it felt actually real. Like you just have this like psychotic man who is just going through all types of things just to kind of impress this woman. And he targets divorced women, you know. And for some reason, he wants to have the perfect family and then he just kills them. Like It's just a cycle. And even like the opening kind of like sets the tone. So, but yeah, nice. there you go. What about you, Megan? I watched The Boneyard. Um, I watched it on DVD. I looked, it says it's on Tubi, but that's a lie. If you click on that. Um, you know, if you search the boneyard and see it's on Tubi and click on it, it takes you to a very different movie <laughs> from 2006. So that is not the same thing. I think that one's like mm. a crime movie. Anyways. Oh yeah. Mind the links on anything entitled the boneyard in the first place. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's it. <a>, yeah. <laughs> Leave it to John to go there. <laughs> uh, someone had to come on. Someone had to, I, I guess. Uh, gosh. So, yeah, this one's from 1991. Uh, it is basically about a very depressed psychic who's – she's a partner of a detective. He pulls her back into this grisly child murder crime scene, which leads them to a morgue or a mortuary. Uh, actually, a morgue. And the prime suspect in their case is a mortician who – has th- he was found with three mummified children bodies and he insists that they are ancient demons and he kept them satiated as his father before him and his father before with flesh and with mm-hmm. him out of the equation he's he's dead now um they basically find out that he was telling the truth and these creepy little children wreak havoc on the place it is such an interesting movie because one, you have a very against type lead. Uh, she's a middle aged woman, and she is very depressed. Like they have to drag her out of bed midday. She's just completely unhappy. Uh, a large part because her job entails her confronting and tracking down these cases of grisly child murders. Um, so right off the bat, you're not getting your average teen lead. Um, so that's different. And then you've got Phyllis Diller. Who shows up? She's a comedian, uh, and she is a very kind of she's she is a little bit comedic relief for for a while. Um, she's got her poodle, and she's kind of the the annoying admin of this building, this coroner's building. Um, and then you've got these really creepy kind of demon children, and stuff goes crazy. Um, I for the longest time would avoid this movie when I was a kid on the you know the video rental shelves because it was this mutant poodle on the cover box and i did not want to see a mutant poodle movie um so (laughs) there is a mutant poodle but that's not the bulk of it the bulk of it is these creepy little children and the director he this i think this was his only movie he was a special effects artist and uh he did a lot of great stuff like he worked on the house at least house one Mm -hmm. i need to check if he worked on house two but um, he ended up dying prematurely from illness. So I, it bums Aww. me out because, you know, you watch, you see his special effects work in other movies and then you see the Boneyard, which is really kind of this obscure little gem of a movie. And you wish that he could have done more because he had some pretty interesting stories. I kind of wish that this would be a remake, like somebody would remake this. So, yeah, that's what I watched. And then I switched gears. I got an advanced reader's copy of My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, this releases August 31st this year. I recommend you put it on your pre-order and then forget about it. So when it shows up, you're like, this is the best treat ever. <laughs> um, plot is it follows Jade Daniels. She's an angry half Indian half Indian outcast who lives in her own world where protection comes from an unusual source. Horror movies. 
particularly slasher movies. She's uh, slasher obsessed. Jade mm. narrates this quirky story, the history of Proof Rock, the town where she lives, and uh, as if it's one of those slasher movies. But when blood actually starts to spill into the waters of Indian Lake, she pulls us into her dizzying encyclopedic mind of blood and mask murderers and predicts exactly how the plot's going to unfold. So uh, it's it's this character... And it plays out like a slasher in the context that she knows what a slasher is and she knows she could predict. Like, she knows that a slasher is going to come. Like, that she, there's about to be a series of murders. She knows how it's going to unfold. She knows who the final girl should be. Um, but how Stephen Graham Jones ends up using that is so unexpected and so profound. There's a couple of times where you're like, What? I thought I knew what was going to happen because I know slashers too, but no, the way that he kind of recontextualizes the slasher is really brilliant. And it's always, it's, it's obvious that he's a slasher expert. I mean, the way that it's woven in, not just from the formula, but like every single chapter is named after a slasher, but it's never the most expected ones. I mean, there's some deep cuts or lesser faves like graduation day, um, and yet he matches them to the kind of context of the chapter. So, wow. yeah, everything about this book is so freaking amazing. So I highly recommend. And that's what I did. Nice. Nice. Well, I went down quite the little journey this last week, thanks <laughs> to both Megan and Zena. First and foremost, 1986's The Seventh Curse, which says it's available on Amazon Prime and was available when I first started looking, was not available when I actually watched it on Friday. No! I know. (laughs) So this is a renter on Prime for me. And this is the longest explanation that I've ever given, (laughs) and I think it's necessary. So bear with me. A young heroic doctor in the jungle of Thailand attempts to rescue a beautiful girl from being sacrificed to the worm tribe she belongs to. As a result, the doctor is damned with seven blood curses which burst through his leg periodically. When the seventh bursts, he will die. But Betsy, the beauty he saves, stops the curse with an antidote that lasts only one year. So on the advice of Wisely, he heads back to Thailand to find a permanent cure. Action ensues as the doctor and cohorts battle the evil sorcerer of the Worm Tribe, a hideous, bloodthirsty, baby-like creature and old ancestor, a skeleton with glowing blue eyes that transforms into a monster that's a cross between Rodan and Alien. Straight out of IMDb, um, does not even begin to explain this movie. (laughs) So, Megan, why did you pick this one? It's one of my absolute favorites, first of all. (laughs) Two, I think when you're scrolling, uh, you know, to different streaming apps and you're like, I don't even know what I'm in the mood for. Do I want an action movie? Do I want a horror movie? Do I want a creature feature? Do I want like a big trouble little China style tribe action adventure, ancient feud, whatever? I mean, all of it, all of it. This movie is everything you could possibly want crammed into one. By the insane mind from uh, the director of the story of Riccio. So you get the gore <laughs> on top of all of that. I mean, like anything and everything you could want in in a, in a, in a movie, it's here. You want romance? That's, that's here too. <laughs> I think it's really funny that Chow Young-Fat is on the cover art for this movie since he's in the movie for about four minutes. Yeah. Um, but I, and I'm a huge Chow Young-Fat fan. I really got into Hong Kong horror or Hong Kong action before I started diving into horror. So I was watching like the killers and hard boiled and everything. And so I was like, Oh cool. Tell you fats in this. Oh wait, no kind of, he plays golf. <laughs> oh, rocket launcher. Okay. That's it. But this movie is, if you hadn't said big trouble in little China as a comparison in my own mind, I, the entire time would have been like, what the hell is going on in this movie this is so weird on every level from the reporter who might be the most annoying character ever in any movie she is so terrible on every level to just the madness of all right this doctor's an action hero now 
Yeah. Like to the point where even IMDb refers to him as a cop. I had to change that in my description. It's oh my like, gosh. why did you call me to this scene? We heard that you like, or that you're not afraid to get things done in a hostage situation where the reporter hits a, ner- a cop on the head with a brick so she can sneak into the <laughs> hostage situation to get picked. It's so weird. It's so weird on every level. And I did find myself enjoying it by the end. See? Because it's See? so bizarre. It is bonkers. It is absolutely bonkers where you are like, I don't know what's happening. Did you watch it subtitled or dubbed? Uh, so I started watching it subtitled and then, uh, I had to find like another site because I was having issues with like my account and uh, I found a dubbed version. See, I almost think the dubbed adds a level of entertainment to it because when you, once you get to the 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 evil wizard and that wizard starts talking, you're like, excuse me, say what now? His voice is so weird. Yeah. So... It's based on a popular book series overseas, which very popular. Yeah. I looked that up. There's like 145 books in the series, which oh, probably no is why it's so disjointed. Because they're like everybody's familiar with it. It's cool, um, but it still doesn't detract from my enjoyment because it's such a thrill ride. I have no idea what's happening, and I don't care. <laughs> if you like Hong Kong action and you like Big Trouble in Little Chinatown. I think you would. I think people would like this movie because it is very much in that same vein of this is just it's bonkers. Just, just watch. Yeah, like that's all you can do is just sit down, order and a pizza, and uh, and like friends when it's safe because that's that type of movie. It's a weird movie to have on while you're working. I'll tell you. <laughs> that. Uh, and then I followed that up with Zena's pick, Satan's Little Helper which says it's available on YouTube and Vudu. I watched it on YouTube. And this, and by comparison, this <laughs> is the explanation. A naive young boy knowingly becomes the pawn of a serial killer. That's it. That's the entire IMDb description. <laughs> so, Zena, why Satan's little helper? Because, you know what, even though it's weird, and the little boy's annoying, it has a lot of charm. And when you, like, pull away from him being super annoying. He's just a little boy who really loves Halloween and it's kind of like a coming to age story, you know? (laughs) That's how I try to sell it to people. (laughs) It's a coming to age story of a little boy who enjoys Halloween and he gets upset when he just wants to spend time with his sister alone without her boo. So... Yeah. I don't know. Like, I know that majority, I know the majority of us, we were smarter than him when we were 10. We would never do anything like that. But I don't know. It's, it's a super cheesy movie and it just makes me happy. With a really confusing appearance and large role by Amanda Plummer of all people who play the mom, who plays the mom and has a very interesting relationship with her daughter in this movie. So the the premise of the, the the overarching premise of this movie being that this kid I didn't catch anybody's names. The gist of it, like Zena said, this kid wants to go trick. Dougie. <laughs> there you go. So Dougie wants to go trick or treating with his sister, who's been away at college. They do it every year. She's coming home specifically for this, but she brings home her not even boyfriend yet, like a guy she thinks might she might want to be a boyfriend or like date. And then her mom, Amanda Plummer, has her put on, like, this really sexy, like, I Dream of Jeannie costume that evidently she wore the year before, which was in no way weird. <laughs> and the boy gets really mad and decides that she's that he's going to go try and find Satan because he's dressed up like the devil and his favorite video game is this one called, like, I think, is the video game called Satan's Little Helper? Yes. And so it's this super cheesy graphic video game that keeps popping up through the movie. <laughs> Almost Yui Bull style. And so he goes and he finds, he basically finds a guy killing someone like in a house and like propping their bodies up. He's like, oh, this must be Satan. I want to be your friend, Satan. <laughs> and like a strange buddy comedy style horror starts ensuing with the two of them. So normally I would say I didn't like this movie. But the thing that actually sold me is the killer. (laughs) The killer's reactions within the mask and his strange physical comedy acting 
actually made me laugh a few times. Like, we go down in the basement, and, like, the boy's trying to talk to him, and the guy's obviously not going to talk. He just gives, like, this double thumbs up, and he's, like, super supportive of the kid for some reason. It's (laughs) so weird. Like, it's bonkers on every level. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, you both picked movies I never would have watched. There's no way I would have scrolled through The Seventh Curse. I might have been curious for Charlie Young Fat, but I would have got like five minutes into it and been like, I don't know what's happening here. And Satan's Little Helper, pretty quickly I would have been like, <laughs> what the hell is this? And in my defense, too, with the director, um, Jeff Liberman, he also directed Squirm. And I, I just told you guys about Squirm a couple yeah. of weeks ago. So at first I was mm-hmm. actually going to recommend you to check out Squirm because... It's so weird. He goes from squirm to this, you know? So, which isn't a bad thing. It's just like, you know, he just has a lot of style. (laughs) Yes, I will give him that much. It's very unique. I would not have expected to see this movie otherwise. And then I had to treat myself (laughs) with finally being able to watch the new Benson Morehouse movie, 2019 Synchronic which is now available on Netflix. Two New Orleans paramedics' lives are ripped apart after they encounter a series of horrific deaths linked to a designer drug with bizarre, otherworldly effects. So I've seen a lot of stuff online about people not liking Synchronic, especially as far as it being a Benson and Morehouse follow-up to Spring Mm -hmm. and Endless and Resolution. A lot of the responses I've seen... Maybe I've just maybe I've noticed the negatives more because I've been waiting to see it, maybe. and I've been like, like what what what's wrong with this? I really liked this movie. Nice. This is a really interesting evolution for me in Benson and Morehouse. Like they've always been fascinated by temporal aspects in right. their movies. Like that's always been a theme in one way or another, and it's a theme here. Anthony Mackie is outstanding in this movie. Which is also what drew me to, like, Anthony Mackie's going to be a Benson Moore. That's amazing. Like, that's awesome. And then who's the other guy who played? Uh, Jamie Dornan. Uh, Dornan. Yeah, Jamie mm-hmm. Doran, or he was, in the, he was the guy in Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, that's so, him. He looks different. Yeah, so I was really, I was excited to see him in the movie, too. And he does a really good job. It actually made me feel sad about the, the fact that he was in Fifty Shades of Grey. Because. I feel like he's like, in other stuff, and, too. Yeah. Is your is, kink showing? He, I don't want to talk. To you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we'll save it for Patreon. <laughs> All right. Um, but it, it's one of those things where it's like um, like Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart in the Twilight series. They got a lot of flack for just being not good movies or bad actors or whatever. And then you see them in roles outside of it, and you're like, no, they're really good actors. It's just they were in a teen, like, silly movie and then on top of it you have 50 shades of gray which was fan fiction of twilight (laughs) and then so you have this actor who got pigeonholed as in this role that's not good at all so it's nice to see him in a movie like this where it's so much about the interpersonal relationship of these two paramedics in their lives and how they're just trying to like get through the day and how their lives are in two different directions but they've been friends for like 20 years and uh, the the I don't want, really want to give much away um, about like the plot itself. It does involve a designer drug and things that are happening to people around the cities and how it affects their lives. And but something that I really loved, and this was kind of pointed out when I was listening to another podcast, is most of the time when people make a movie in New Orleans, the way to let people know that they're there is a swamp boat tour and alligators, or there's a parade going in the walking down the French Quarter. And this was such a beautifully shot setting for New Orleans because it wasn't that. It was just, it was in the streets of New Orleans. There was some, a little bit in the Garden District. There was some bars. There were shots of the river. And like, and that was it. Like, it existed in New Orleans without being, without New Orleans being shoved down your throat. Without the cliche mm-hmm. like, version of New Orleans. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it was done really, really smartly and subtly. But I also feel like it gave like a really good respect to people who've been there and really like the city mm-hmm. as opposed to like the idea of uh, like the Golden Gate Bridge has to be destroyed in every kaiju movie. Otherwise, San Francisco like doesn't exist in that world. You wouldn't know if you didn't see the Golden Gate Bridge. 
like it's that it's that aspect of no this town exists and it's just this is the way it is so i really liked synchronic i thought it was a great evolution um of character development for the two they've always done it really well like starting with resolution they've always they've always nailed really good dialogue and interaction between characters but this is the first time i also feel like uh benson morehouse's characters have been independently strong as much as they've been strong together Mm -hmm. like when they're off on their own doing their own moments in their own lives um it's really good like i think the acting's phenomenal um and i need them to make more stuff (laughs) i really do (laughs) they're so good at what they do it's some of my favorite stuff you know i um so okay well sorry sorry, i was gonna say like uh well you convinced me to check it out because I did add it to my list to watch, but I wasn't too sure. And I'm not going to lie because I wasn't really, I'm not really feeling the poster. And I know that's just like, oh, check it out, you know, but I don't know. When I first just saw it, like, I wasn't like huge about the poster, you know? It's got a really, um, it's got like a grittiness Mm -hmm. to it. It it almost looks less polished than their previous movies. Hmm. But I think that was part of the point. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's not going to be like what their movies that you've seen in the past. And yet it is like, it's just maybe like a lateral, like one step to the side, one step forward, I guess is the best way I would put it. Um, But I really enjoyed it. It's not a shared universe as far as I can tell. Like they've like to play with in the past. Nice. Okay. So before we move on, what do we watch? How do we watch it? So I watch soul station on shutter and the stepfather on Netflix. I watched uh, The Boneyard on DVD, and I read an advanced copy of My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, but you can pre-order it now. Nice. And I rented The Seventh Curse on Prime, and I watched Satan's Little Helper on YouTube. Not Santa's Little Helper. Satan's Little Helper on YouTube. (laughs) And I watched Synchronic on Netflix. So, what am I watching next week? Uh, Zena, let's start with you. Okay, so how about you check out Pledge from 2019 on Hulu? I don't think, yeah, I don't, wait, what's Pledge about? So it's Besides, about, I'm guessing a fraternity. It is, it is. It's about these, uh, this fraternity. They go to, they go through this process and it's not what it seems. Oh, I think I was about to watch this last week. Oh my god! And I didn't. I thought that you would have been so upset at me. I thought you were going to say that you watched it already, and I was going to I lose it. So nope, I think I literally scrolled right past. Is it on Tubi? Uh it's is it? I don't know. I don't think so. It, it is on. I Hulu. think it's on Hulu. Yeah, yeah. It's on Hulu. Okay. Okay. All right. Pledge on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Megan, how about you? How savvy are you on eighties horror? Uh, I mean, there's so much of it. I guess it would. I mean, I, I compared to you two. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. Have you seen Waxwork? Uh, no, I haven't seen Waxwork. What no. What a magical movie! Yeah, so that's your assignment. It is on Tubi. <laughs> okay. And there was a Patreon Patreon request for your Troll Hunter, so your your week is booked. Oh, man, and Troll Hunter. Darn, I, I had a fourth one I wanted to watch this week, too. We'll see. Aww. I almost watched Troll Hunter today just for the heck of it. Oh, well, but, then you know, it worked out. So I couldn't get to it. Okay, so I'm watching Waxwork on Tubi, uh, Pledge on Hulu, and I'll rewatch. I've seen Troll Hunter, but I'll rewatch it. I'm not going to be bothered by that at all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Good deal. Enough about what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. So, Megan, what's going on? This is a little bit of a follow-up uh, for a subject we talked about a while ago, actually. About eight months ago, we talked about Disney adapting a new Haunted Mansion movie. 
with the uh, 2016 Ghostbusters writer Kate Dippold penning the most recent draft of this because they have been trying to get this project uh, going for a while now. So now, bad hair director Justin Simeon is in talks to direct. Per Deadline, who broke the news, insiders say this will be a completely different take as a film that stands on its own. Disney has wanted to work with Simeon for some time, with him meeting on several other projects before settling on this one following his recent pitch on how he envisioned the story going. The Dark Ride attraction, which launched in 1969 and is still strong today at Disney Parks, sees the theme park guests go inside a spooky and creepy manor that has a wide array of supernatural frights. It also features a graveyard's worth of characters. Most popular characters include the Hotbox Ghost, Madame Leota, Phantom, and the Hitchhiking Ghosts. So Dan Lin and Jonathan Eric, who produced live-action hit Aladdin, are producing through their Rideback banner with Nick Reynolds of Rideback Exec producing. So um, they previously, obviously we know that they previously transformed their ride into a movie with the 2003 feature that starred Eddie Murphy, which took a very broad approach to the subject or the ride. And Guillermo del Toro famously wanted to adapt, and that obviously never is going to happen, especially now that they've settled on a new direction, uh, director. So my question is, what would you like to see from a ride or a movie adaptation of the ride, assuming that you have familiarity with the Haunted Mansion and thoughts on uh, Simeon attached to direct? Well, I'll make this easy. I've never been there, never been on the ride. Okay. Zena, go. Okay. You, you live, um, like, right there. <laughs> I do, I do, and actually, I, I have been. I don't remember the, the ride, but I do remember uh, the one with um, Eddie Murphy in it. And, yeah, it seemed like it was more targeted towards kids, but I thought it was fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people really wanted Del Toro to be a part of it because he's just so awesome and magical. But I like the fact that they're giving uh, Justin a chance because even though – um, bad hair. It's it's not a perfect movie. I love the fact that he tried to tackle, you know, Korean horror, you know, and honestly, it's not easy to do, but he was inspired and he went for it. So I'm just curious to see what he's going to do with it. As far as it goes with what I want to see in this movie, since I don't really remember the ride, I just hope that we, um, what were those people, were they like singing statue faces or something? Yeah, the singing they were... busts. Yeah. Yeah, they were hilarious in the movie, so I kind of hope for something like that. But I do hope that it's more of a spooky approach. Yeah, I think that it's not going to be too overtly spooky, which is probably why ultimately Guillermo del Toro uh, and the studio never really pushed forward on on Mm. a feature together because it's a Disney ride. It's based on a Disney ride, so you have to be able to appeal to a wider and younger audience. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a whole lot of camp in bad hair. So it seems like probably Simeon can strike a balance better. That's not overtly scary. Right. Right. Still fun, playful. So yeah, we shall see, but it kind of makes me hope that they also remake, um, Tower of Terror. That was my jam when I was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) I like the ride too, Mm -hmm. but I guess, I guess you could, I don't know how you would do that, because that's uh, attached to the Twilight Zone, which maybe, oh, I never, the, the ride itself is, yeah, it's a very okay. Twilight, like all of the nods, it's basically like an elevator that moves up and down and forward and stuff, but it's mm. it's very Twilight Zone. Rod Serling even narrates an opening sequence. So, you know, but hey. Does David Pumpkins appear at any point? <laughs> No, he doesn't. Any questions? Not interested. <laughs> Not interested. Then. John wants an adaptation of the Spirit Halloween store. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <I'll> <laughs> All right. Uh, and Lionsgate is developing a uh, an American Psycho series and possibly a Saw series as well. So, directed by Mary Heron, the 2000 film American Psycho brought Brett Easton Ellis' novel to the big screen, and it looks like Patrick Bateman is headed to the small screen next. Lionsgate Television Chairman Kevin Beggs previewed all things Lionsgate TV that are currently in the works, including an American Psycho series. He also teased the potential for Saw. He said, uh, American Psycho is in development. We're always exploring what we can do in television and something like the Saw with something like the Saw franchise. Um, so that's a conversation. 
basically meaning that I mean, he he gave no information, really, Um, Mm -hmm. just that we're already underway in working on an American uh, psycho TV show. And we're targeting Saw, but we don't know yet. Uh, The recent foray into broadcast is one of several strategic shifts for Lionsgate as it's adjusting to its dual role as the primary studio of a premium network, corporate sibling of stars, and a third-party supplier to other networks and platforms. That seems to be a similar trend um, across the board um, because we also recently talked about Paramount Plus developing a fatal attraction and now an Arlington Road series adaptation. So you get a whole bunch of older properties now getting the TV series treatment. Um, so obviously with Saw, I think the assumption probably is that the upcoming spiral from the book of Saw will be a major contributing factor uh, to kind of help them decide if they want to move forward, forward with developing Saw. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that either property, either American Psycho or Saw, would translate to television? I can see American Cycle translating well. Um, it just kind of seems like it would kind of be like Dexter, you know? Yeah, um, which we're getting more of, so. More Dexter, too. But with Saul, to be honest with you, I, I don't know about that one. I mean, maybe if they have the right team, but even with that, I'm not too sure about that one. I, I could possibly do without it, but that's just me. Is that a plot reason, you think? Plot reason. Like, I love that... <clears throat> It's kind of like the mystery of Saw is no longer a mystery, right. at least for me. So, and I don't want too much of it. I would rather have it just in a movie, you know? Yeah. I don't want like you don't a need the convoluted right. CSI stuff that started happening. And yeah. 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 That's just me, though. <laughs> but with gritty, gross traps. There you go. Do you have any? See, and I think that's the way I'd be more interested in watching it if they took a step back and tried it try to develop it more as a procedural um but that changes the very nature of the franchise because saw is about the splatter mm-hmm. you know it's i mean it's torture porn it just is it's the nature of the property which doesn't mean it it, it can't have a 180 degree turn that that's happened before but i don't know yeah i, I agree with xena like i just i don't know how they'd handle that because i feel like either you do like one death a season or one death every few episodes. One death a season? That seems like... That's what I'm saying. A a lot. Like, if they do one trap and then it's a police procedural or something. Otherwise, you're looking at a show that's going to have an insane, bloody body count like that Dexter never could have imagined. And as far as, yeah, as far as an American Psycho adaptation, I don't know how... Because Dexter already exists... It might be a different conversation without it, mm-hmm. but if they're going to try and go, I mean, they might go more towards the source material in the book, which the movie didn't stray too horribly away from. It just really smoothed out the edges because the graphic or the book is insanely graphic about exactly what Patrick Bateman is doing to women. And it's brutal to read. We don't need that in a Hopefully, TV show. Yeah. No, you can't do what they were doing in that book. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what way to take it because otherwise it turns into, okay, you're a psychotic businessman. Isn't that what they all are? <laughs> <laughs> you're Wolf of Wall Street with a knife. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm worth, it's worth giving. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot, but I just don't know how they'd adapt them. Yeah. Well, luckily, we don't have uh, much to go on, and who knows if they'll come to pass, because these are the baby stages, yeah. development. If and... they even get past the pilot episode. Yeah, knows? so we don't know. But it is very interesting to note that there that seems to be the current trend, at least in the development stage, is to take all of these older properties and make a TV show out of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and last but largest of the bunch of this week's topics um a new trailer has arrived for the conjuring the devil made me do it james wan passed the baton to michael chavez who directed the curse of la llorona for um for the the third entry in the conjuring series it is coming to theaters and hbo max on june 4th which means that marketing is starting to really ramp up big time so last week saw the release of not only the trailer, but I think a day or two before a whole bunch of new images to kind of whet your appetite. 
um, Chavez, when the, the images dropped, Chavez talked with uh, IGN and described The Devil Made Me Do It as the franchise's darkest film to date while comparing it to David Fincher's serial killer thriller 7. Uh, he also said, this is really taking the Warrens into uncharted places. Being a fan of the franchise, I was honestly really nervous at first breaking with convention, breaking with a lot of things that are tradition. But I think that what we've done is really woven in the has is really woven the language and the things you do want from a conjuring film. The scares, the Warrens, their relationship, and push them to the limits that is really fresh and exciting new direction. The the conjuring devil made me do it that is a mouthful uh it takes place in 1981 this particular nightmare beginning with a brutal murder the killer's defense he was possessed by a demonic spirit we think your family is cursed lorraine warren explains in the trailer and we think that connection is still open it looks like an evil witch maybe if you've seen the have you seen the trailer Yes, there's yep. there's some nods to witchcraft there um mm-hmm. and both ed and lorraine's lives are at stake so the trailer even has like an direct homage to the iconic scene of the exorcist i don't know if you caught that at all it's got that same image of you know the back of a guy with the hat and the briefcase Mm -hmm. and you know he's staring at this daunting house oh um and the trailer i didn't even notice that yeah it's it's very brief um and i did go back and look at the images and you can see it easier without having to pick it apart in the trailer um it also had a waterbed scare featuring the haunting of Hill House's Julian Hilliard. And if that's not enough, uh, DC announced around the same time that they are launching a DC horror label that's going to launch with a limited series set in the universe of The Conjuring. The five-inch issue, The Conjuring The Lover, will launch on the same day, June 4th. It's being billed as a prelude to the third installment, co-written by Conjuring 2 and Devil Made Me Do It screenwriter David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick. His co-writer on the series is Rex Ogle, and it's illustrated by Gary Brown. Uh, The Lover sets up The Devil Made Me Do It, expanding the tragic story of Jessica, a college freshman returning to campus after winter break, bringing with her the anxieties of last semester's poor grades, the awkwardness of facing a boy she wishes she never slept with, and uh, and an undeniably unnerving feeling of being watched. So she comes to realize something evil has made her its target. So, yeah, it's going to feature a bunch of backup stories that explore the mysteries of the artifact room as well. So I don't know how into supplemental material you guys are or what your takeaways were from watching the trailer. (laughs) Nobody speak at once. (laughs) No, um, I'm sorry. I I don't know why I'm so giggly. Uh, It's the Pepsi. the trailer. It it might be. Well, I didn't have any today. Maybe afterwards. (laughs) But... I, I like the trailer, um, but then again, I love the Conjuring series, so I might be biased, and I just think that the movies are great, you know, but I know of some people where they might be kind of tired of it, and they might want something new. Um, I'm really excited about it with the director, Michael Chavez, because I don't know if any of you have seen his short movie from 2016, The, the Maiden. Is that the one with the house on the market? Yes. Okay, yeah, I did like that sort of a lot. And you can kind of see why James Wan, like, like why he wants to work with him. Like, he really does know his way around a camera. I love his storytelling. It's actually creepy. So the fact that, you know, James Wan picked him for this, it makes sense. And I know it wasn't just only James Wan, but it makes sense, you know? I think yeah. that he fits. Um but I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not super excited about this movie as a, as a whole, but I am excited that this might be the last Conjuring movie that we receive. Might. So, you know, check it out. <laughs> check it out. Check it out. <laughs> and then also I was, you know, with the, the talk of there being like a series, you know, um, we talked about this already with movies yeah. becoming sick. It's a little bit overwhelming sometimes. It's like so. keep it keep it in a self-contained story sometimes. Yeah. Or like in a film capacity. Yeah. I get what you're saying. And I wonder if this will actually be um the last time that we see the Warrens together. Like, do you think that this is that something's going to happen to Ed Warren in this one? I Maybe. don't know. When 
because he passed in real life way before, like, but see, the thing about this one is that they don't seem to be like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah. I'm sorry, John. What do you think? Tell us. No, I'm good. <laughs> you guys covered it. I'm fine. I don't need supplemental. They're building out that universe enough. I don't necessarily need a TV show because honestly, I don't watch that much TV anymore. Yeah. So I can't say like, yay. Like uh, I'm appointment. If I can binge something, if I can sit down and get through it. Awesome. But I don't, the new stuff coming out and there's so much news of remakes and reboots and TV it's series and everything else that, yeah, yeah, it's just like, I don't, I'm, I have plenty on my plate. Um, and I've got my own feelings about Ed and Lorraine in real life. Yeah. And we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and move on. So, all right, listeners, your turn. Excited for more Disney horror properties. Can't wait for more from Ed and Lorraine. Let's hear about it. Numbers 224-475-1040. You can also email us at bedisgustingpodcast at gmail.com or keep an eye on our social media accounts for chances to ask questions. Finally, Zena's going to make all our lives easier in a sea of horror movie options and clue us in on what's appearing soon and what we should be watching. So, Zena, what should we be watching? So, uh, available on Monday the 26th, In Search of Darkness Part 2 is available on Shudder. This is a follow-up to um, In Search of Darkness from 2019. It dives deeper into practical practical effects uh, decade decade of the of the 80s of 80s horror with all new interviews, genre icons, um, genre um, experts, alongside with the original cast. Then on Tuesday we have Murder Barry Wynn. It will be available on VOD. When a freak accident leads to an unexpected death. The creators of a board game realize how suspiciously it looks like a murder. With few options, the three friends look to the game for guidance to figure out how to get rid of the body. That sounds like a plan. (laughs) Then on the 30th, on Friday, we actually have four movies coming our way. So the first one, Separation, it will be in theaters. A young girl, she finally finds peace with her artist father and the ghost of her dead mother. I don't know if you guys saw the trailer to this one, but I think that it looks pretty creepy. I'm really excited about this one. And then headed to VOD, the resort. Four friends head to Hawaii to investigate reports of a haunting at an abandoned resort in hopes of finding the infamous half-faced girl. When they arrive, they soon learn you should be careful what you wish for. Um, then the third one that's coming out, Things Heard and Seen, will be available on Netflix. After moving to a small town with her husband, a young artist begins to suspect that their home harbors a dark secret. And last, Dead House Dark will be available on Shudder. This is a six short horror stories tied together by a woman who receives a mysterious box filled with terrifying and disturbing contents from the dark web. And just in case if you guys missed it, I know that it's not a horror, but it has horror elements. Mortal Kombat, it is available on HBO Max, so you can check that out. And if you don't want to think about what you're going to watch and you just want to watch stuff, bloody disgusting TV. If you don't trust us, trust Doug Jones. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the Bloody Disgusting Podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on Twitter at HauntedMeg. Xena can be found on her own site, realqueenofhorror.com, and the YouTube channel of the same name, or at LovelyZena on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Be Disgusting Pod, on Facebook at the Bloody Disgusting Podcast fan page group. Fan page so group? Fan page group? It's Something a page. Like it is just a page. I guess and we're fans of ourselves. Or, or drop us an email at BeDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. And for even more content and rewards, some that we're going to be recording right now. Check us out on patreon.com slash bedisgustingpod. So for this week, I'm John. I'm Megan. I'm Zena. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast Storage Sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast Storage Sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 